to Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Normally, I start out by asking you something along the lines of, does this name ring a bell? Or does this even sound familiar to you? Right. Uh, But with the subject of this week's episode, that's a little difficult, actually. Okay. Today, I'm going to tell you about a Native American whose name in English is Woman Chief. So if I said to you, hey, honey, what can you tell me about Woman Chief? That might cause a little bit more confusion than normal. (laughs) I I would I would probably say what you'd expect as in I don't I don't have any idea. Right. Do you mean the alternate reality where Hillary Clinton won the election or what? What do you mean by Woman Chief? Like, I don't. Um, My sources today were two books, Native American Women by Jennifer L. Jenkins and Strange Country This by Will Roscoe as well as a pamphlet distributed by the Montana Office of Public Instruction entitled Montana Indians, Their History and Location. So one of your sources is a pamphlet? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, cool. Yeah, it's actually like this is one of those, and this will be a little bit shorter of an episode today, depending on uh, how much fun and witty banter we can come up with. Um, Because this is not like there's not a ton of information about her, which you would kind of expect given that she is a Native American figure. So they, a lot of their history was like oral tradition. Right. Stuff didn't get written down. So if people weren't still talking about it, it kind of got lost, right? Yeah. So it was hard to find information. So yeah, I had to go, I had to go to a pamphlet from the Montana Office of Public Instruction (laughs) to get some, to get some information. Uh. Only the best. Right. So let's jump right in. Uh, Woman Chief's birth name is not known. Believe it or not, she wasn't born and they were like, ah, Woman Chief. Right. Um, In fact, very little about her early life is known apart from the fact that she was born into the white clay people in 1806. Not unlike Woman Chief herself, very little, of course, is known about the early history of the white clay people. It wasn't until their first encounter with European colonizers in 1754 that any information about them or their ways of life were recorded. What we do know is that along with the Arapaho tribe, they lived in the Northwestern Plains in an area that today is part of Montana and Saskatchewan. They moved around quite a lot before that, however, and some researchers and historians believe that before the current era, they lived all the way out on the East Coast. Hmm. The Arapaho, who shared ancestors with the white clay people, referred to them as Hitunia, uh, meaning either those who ask or more simply beggars. Despite the way that might make you picture them, they were a fierce warlike tribe. They were also master equestrians, which made it much easier for them to do all that moving around and also to hunt buffalo and caribou. Hmm. To connect their history to something we were actually taught in school, Uh, I'd like to mention that sometime in the early 1800s, members of the white clay people living in northern Montana observed a band of Europeans believed to have been members of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Okay. This would have been the first time any of the white clay people ever saw guns, which they referred to in their stories as thundersticks. Thundersticks. Thundersticks, which they observed when members of the expedition shot and killed a buffalo. It's interesting to note that Lewis and Clark and etc. were actively looking to make contact with the white clay people on this leg of their journey without ever having a clue that members of that very tribe observed them from a distance as they were passing through. 
Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Woman Chief spent the first 10 years of her life among the white clay people, but no information about that time in her life was preserved for posterity. We started to get more information about her after she was taken prisoner during a raid on her village by members of the Crow tribe around the year 1816, so she was 10 years old. She was soon adopted by one of the warrior chiefs who raised her as one of his own. So the Crow people were a matrilineal society, which means that their ancestral history is traced back through their mothers instead of their fathers. And I, d- uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, of course you don't. Yeah. We live in the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. so that's, you know, last names aren't so much of a thing, but like your familial identity is tied to your mother and not your father. Mm. And married couples would integrate with the wife's family instead of the husband's. It was also not at all uncommon for there to be Native Americans among the Crow and other groups who were what American indigenous people now refer to as two spirits. That basically means that these people fulfilled a gender variant role in ceremonies or in their day-to-day lives. In my research, I found that by and large, gender has always been considered a much more fluid thing in Native American culture. And there were traditionally four primary genders instead of two. There was interesting. Yeah, I've, I had never heard any of this before. Yeah. Um, there was feminine female, masculine male, feminine male, and masculine female. Hmm. So the term two-spirit would be applied to anyone who considered themselves to be a feminine male or a masculine female. And the term also encompasses the trans, non-binary, and intersex indigenous community today. Those just weren't terms that would have been used back in the 1800s. Right. So, so I, guess, I guess what you're saying is it was more of a, well, you, I guess you did say it, um, their role. Right. Their role being um, a female who was more of a hunter, who took on more of a hunter role. Mm-hmm. would be considered more of a masculine. Right, female. or a female who dressed in male clothing. Mm. Or gay men, right. gay women, bisexuals. Like, pretty much anyone who today would be considered LGBTQ+. Yeah. In the indigenous language, that's a two-spirit. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, and I will say, too, that two-spirit is a more modern term, like, Back then, there wasn't really a term for it. That's just who you are. That's the way you're born, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Woman Chief was a masculine female two-spirit, though notably she chose to dress in traditionally feminine crow attire. There's a quote from Edwin Denig, a white man who knew Woman Chief that I found in Strange Country This that I'd like to share. He starts by describing her, quote, desire to acquire manly accomplishments, then goes on to clarify by saying she could rival any of the young men in all of their amusements and occupations, was a capital shot with the rifle, and would spend most of her time in killing deer and bighorn, which she butchered and carried home on her back when hunting on foot. Wow. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So she was, if this was Encanto, she is Louisa. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Her adoptive father encouraged her in these pursuits and was extremely proud of her. These things were especially important to him because his own sons had been either killed or kidnapped in the Crow's ongoing battle with the Blackfoot people. 
He considered himself blessed to now have this wonderful two-spirit daughter who enjoyed doing the same sort of things he'd done with his now lost sons. Hmm. At some point, though, her father was killed in a battle between the Crow people and the Blackfoot people. He was the head of their lodge, which obviously is a very important role, but he left no living sons to succeed him. So Woman Chief stepped right up into that leadership position without missing a beat. Not long after this, she earned her reputation as a total badass on the battlefield when she raised an army of her own and straight up embarrassed a band of Blackfoot raiders. According to the aforementioned book, Native American Women, she single-handedly turned an ambush and protected a fort that sheltered both Crow and white families. Her reputation made, Woman Chief gathered a group of young men and led guerrilla-style raids on the Blackfoot with great success. Wow, man. Oh, yeah. She was taking no shits. Absolutely none. That's exciting. It's great. Oh, I've got chills. She's wonderful. (laughs) I love her so much. Uh, The book goes on to clarify that success in this instance means the number of human scalps and confiscated horses that she brought back to the lodge. Less than a year later, she was regularly leading war parties of her own. She showed remarkable valor in every battle. Um, Edward Denig again remarked on how proud her people were of her and how many songs were written and sung about her after every time she came back they came up with new songs about all of the cool stuff she had done this time that was different than last time wow oh yeah she was a huge (laughs) deal another incredible distinction she received was rising the ranks of the council to eventually become the third ranking member which may not sound like such a huge deal until you realize she was third out of 160. That's not, that's a lot. Yeah, that's it's not it's not bad. No. You know? Oh yeah. This particular promotion earned her a significant increase to her wealth and her social status and as a result, she was able to support not one, not two, but four wives. Oh. That's right, wives. Wow. Progressive as all hell. No kidding. Oh yeah. No husbands, only wives. Uh, By this point, we're in the mid-1850s, and encounters between indigenous Americans and European colonizers were becoming more and more commonplace. These dudes were invariably fascinated by Woman Chief and her wives, and compared her to legends they'd heard about Amazonian women. Mm -hmm. This included Rudolf Kurtz and his partner, Edward Denig, whose writings about her are to thank for most of the information we have about her today. There was another frontiersman named Jim Beckworth who contributed quite a lot to Woman Chief's enduring legacy. Uh, Beckworth was the son of a white man and an enslaved woman, and he was emancipated by his father in the early to mid-1820s. At that time, he headed west to the Rocky Mountains and earned a living as a trapper, trader, scout, and most badass sounding of all, an adventurer. Mm. I really love that there was a point in history where your job title could really just be something like adventurer and people took it seriously. You know? <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. Can you imagine like, oh, so what do you do? Um, well, you know, I work in sales. You know, my, a lot of my job is doing on spreadsheets and, you know, quarterly reports and blah, 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 blah. What do you do? Oh, I'm an adventurer. I bet it looks great on a business card. Right. Oh, my God. I mean, it would be like that would all you'd have to say, Jim Beckworth, adventurer, no other information. And people (laughs) would just be dying. Like they would go full like Patrick Bateman, like sweating, like looking at this business card. Like mine will never be this good. It will never be this good. Yeah. But so eventually he kind of 
swerved a little in the adventuring and joined the Crow People. And he proved himself to be a skilled warrior who was soon made a war chief in his own right, even though he had no like indigenous ancestry. It was around that time that he met a crow woman who he referred to in his writing as Pine Leaf. He described her as follows. She was one of the bravest women that ever lived. She possessed great intellectual powers. She was endowed with extraordinary muscular strength, with the activity of a cat and the speed of an antelope. Mm. According to him, Pine Leaf had a twin brother who was killed in battle, and as a result of this terrible loss, she vowed that she would not marry until she had personally killed 100 of her enemies. Beckworth said that she was always the one leading the charge after this, that she seemed incapable of fear and was just as gifted with guns and Native American weaponry as any other warrior he had ever seen. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Personally, I am very impressed by her hustle mentality. She's going to get those 100 enemies. Like, don't even worry about it. Beckworth served with her for quite some time as she was working toward this goal, and he fell in love with her because, honestly, how could you not? When he asked her to marry him, she went off, basically telling him he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs if he thought she was going to break her solemn vow that she had made to the great spirit on her brother's behalf. Nevertheless, he persisted. Finally, she gave in by telling him she would marry him when the pine leaves turned yellow. He freely admitted that it was several days before he realized that pine leaves never turn yellow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, clever. Oh, yeah. I love that line. Yeah. Many, many people believe that pine leaf and woman chief are one and the same. But just as many believe that this entire story never happened and Beckworth made the whole thing up. Beckworth's account was given credence, though, when it was supported by famed anthropologist Robert Lowy, who said every once in a while, the genuineness of the record is forcibly demonstrated. As when a maiden promised to marry Beckworth when the pine leaves turned yellow, an expression still in vogue. So that was an actual phrase that was used by the crow people, according to this anthropologist expert i see yeah so pine leaf could be woman chief during the span of time following her father's death when she was building her reputation as a certified battlefield badass and maybe beckworth somehow managed to mix up father with twin brother or maybe pine leaf was a completely separate crow woman or pine leaf could be beckworth's imaginary girlfriend who we just don't know because she goes to a different school (laughs) (laughs) still you know i wanted to share that aspect of the story because there's a great deal of belief that woman chief and pine leaf are one and the same Mm -hmm. it's at least compelling that we don't know what her birth name was or even what she was called among the crow people before she was designated woman chief her name might have been pine leaf Sadly, as with so many of history's raddest folks, Woman Chief wasn't given the opportunity to grow old. After 20 years of kicking ass and taking names as the third-ranking council member of the Crow Nation, she was able to broker peace between her tribe and the White Clay People, the tribe of her birth. But it didn't last long, and in 1854, Woman Chief was ambushed and murdered by White Clay People warriors. And that is the brief but awesome story of Woman Chief. That is really interesting isn't it yeah i love her i want so much more information and i know i'm never gonna get it yeah and you know that drives me up the wall but i know i I love the information that i do have and i I still wanted to share it that is really really interesting thank you thank you so much i wonder um i wonder how many other stories there are out there about things like this Mm mm-hmm 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know very little about, um, you know, uh, about, about as much as anyone else about uh, Native American history. Right. Yeah, that's not really, unless it's the, the fictionalized version of the first Thanksgiving, we're not really taught much about the Native Americans in school. No, no. So, yeah, there's, I mean, just in my research, and I apologize because I didn't write down their names, but there were at least two other Crow chiefs who were warrior women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe both of them came after her. But, like, as I was saying, like, with their matrilineal society, like, kind of the opposite of a patriarchy, women were really important to the Crow people. I mean, the with the two-spirit... Um, thing going on kind of across the board in indigenous communities like her story is probably not that rare honestly and we just don't know about it because those oral histories never made it onto paper or they got forgotten or they merged together like pine leaf and woman chief might be two different people and they got merged because stuff wasn't being written down yeah so i mean who knows there could have been hundreds of them, but she's the one that we know about, and she is amazing. She is amazing, but I agree. It is very frustrating. The more the more we do research into these stories, the more we find it, 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 it's, it's, that, it's that saying, the more you know, the more you learn, the more you learn about the less you know. Right. Or uh, I probably butchered it, but... The, the the more you dig into this into these histories, the more you realize there's just way more history that we don't know about, we'll never know about than what we actually do. Right. Which is very frustrating, but I guess that's it's just the way it is. Well, you know, there's a quote from my favorite um historically factual movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ah yes, the documentary. Yes, the documentary. Um where my buddy Socrates uh, they they share a quote like in their big presentation at the end. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie from 1989. But the big history presentation they do at the end um, where they quote him as saying, you know, true wisdom lies in knowing that you know nothing. Mm-hmm. And I freely admit to being a big old idiot <laughs> in that regard. So, yeah, I get it. And just um, in case for some reason it wasn't clear, like you haven't seen the movie and you just think I'm genuinely an idiot. I know his name is not Socrates. <laughs> I feel compelled to mention that because I actually got yelled at by my high school librarian for saying Socrates instead of, <laughs> and she was like, well, actually it's Socrates. And I'm like, and well, actually it's Socrates, but fine lady. It's not Socrates. Like fine, <laughs> fine. Go watch a movie in your life. <laughs> not that I'm still mad 20 plus years later. But if I was. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> well, thanks for checking us out, giving us a little bit of your time today. Hopefully you enjoyed that story. And if you did, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Of course, there aren't really pictures of Woman Chief because it was the 1800s. But I did find a sweet sketch of her that I'm going to put up on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. We're at Fantastic H Pod on both. You can also drop us a line at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com if you know of any amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history that you'd like us to cover on the show, or if you just want to say hello. See you next week. Bye.
very cool. Yeah, leave that in. 